Welcome back, War Horse Podcast, Episode 10, November 18th, 2021, as Hoffman calls it, the 21 Blackjack Phase, 21st year of this millennium. 20 years after 9-11. And tonight, there happens to be the full beaver moon. I've positioned myself within the warhorse, within the context of this society, and its right angles and its absolute insistence on squaring things up to what is never pointed out. There is no fucking thing that you could square the world to. It's a sign of mental illness. But I have, as usual, adapted my methods accordingly. And I found a very solid spot by which to view this moon and ponder the... It, it's probably approaching several hundreds of millions at this point. Girls in their micro covens. And I'm I'm curious what all they might be working towards. It can't all just be boyfriends. It can't all just be oat milk yogurt in their favorite flavor, pistachio. Along these lines, uh, I thought I would open this episode, although I should stop myself. Um, If you've been following along, you understand that this episode, which just so happened to be timed with the full moon, I didn't do this, um, will will complete this, uh, at least this preliminary sort of introductory level discussion on the, um, the circuit between hunter, warrior, and the master. I know I rail against categories and it probably, I guess this is a form of categorization, but I like them when I like them. 
just like just like anybody else. So note there I should mention that uh, even for non-subscribers, we are in discussion in multiple discussions about some collaborative projects resulting in some incredibly fine and uh, rare product offerings. So that's exciting. Um, subscribers have a little bit more information. So now that I've cut myself off and returned I want to discuss a little bit about a little we're going to expand a little bit on the legend of Castaneda and make a make a clear distinction between um, some other folks out there we've made it clear I mean You know, the warrior's way is not a Castaneda invention. It's not even close. The best that we could do, as I've said, he stole everything from everybody. But in terms of legitimizing the narrative surrounding Mr. Carlos Castaneda, real quick, he's a PhD student at UCLA. He runs into this authentic shaman down in Mexico. He undertakes an apprenticeship with him. This turns into his uh, dissertation, which ends up being a giant hit, like as a book, which is strange because it's very oddly written. It's not like a dissertation, but it's also not like a standard nonfiction book. It's pretty good, though. It's not... Obviously, I... I think there's a tremendous amount of value in a good bit of his stuff. And as I've mentioned, if you want to skip all this stuff, the details and whatnot, the best book is Wheel of Time. So in the later books, and very little of this winds up in Wheel of Time, but the years have progressed and he has become sort of an advanced student in the shamanic tradition which is said to be Toltec, or some people have called it Olmec, these ancient, potentially ancient, uh, lost civilizations in Mexico. And uh, I'll just be frank. I mean, it struck me in reading it that he had gotten to a point in his literary output, this is Castaneda, where he felt like he had a lot of license and he also had some pressure from somewhere. I don't think it was merely financial. I think he was like set for life after the first book. Pretty damn near. So why he insisted on writing nine total, I'm not sure. I would say Journey to Ixtlan is the third one and is... It's probably the best of the whole bunch as far as a book. Wheel of Time is just a collection of kind of like a summarization of his whole body of work, perhaps. 
It's quotes, essentially. And there's great quotes in there. Castaneda um, pretty quickly ran up against some opposition people questioning the legitimacy of his story surrounding the shaman in Mexico, etc. But he weathered all that. And he still weathers it. And along the way, kind of in intervals, authors, gurus, practitioners of various suspicious and, um, say, strange arts would pop up. And there would either be an outright mention of Castaneda and the Toltec sort of thing, or it would be alluded to in, in enough, with enough suggestive power that people would do the rest of the connections themselves. And um, this is to say there were a lot of like spin-offs. There were a few books written that challenged the whole narrative and some of those even see in the way that conspiracy conspiracy events are then trailed by a series of kind of like an interlocking ambulatory operation where one book seems to be full of good information the next one seems to be steering the reader off in some direction these um Sunsteinian, referring here once again to our old pal Cass Sunstein, operations are are well established, which is um, related to another point we want to make as far as the uh, the waters in which we we swim right now, communication internet, social media, what have you. So Castaneda um, evidently lived into his 60s and then he had a sort of mysterious death, I suppose. As I've mentioned before, I've run into people who claim that he didn't die, which would be consistent with what he tried to set up in his life. Pretty sure he's actually dead. Doesn't matter. What matters is that you find this sort of suckerfish. Um, I forget the bird that lives on the back of the buffalo, but you know you have this parasitic um, and cottage industry sort of phenomena with with certain things, and. Um, There is absolutely um, a fair bit of this regarding Castaneda. And in my view, it it doesn't really matter. You know, he got into some pretty strange stuff regarding dreaming, lucid dreaming. And I bring it up here to draw a very clear distinction. This is not the dream that I'm talking about. This is not the worldview. I do not subscribe to the Castanadian worldview. I subscribe to his very eloquently elucidated version 
not even version, just description of the warrior's way. And as mentioned in this video we threw up on Instagram, the warrior's way is is not a thing that was man-made. As with, and I'm not saying it is one of the Logi, Logoi, what have you, but it it is part of this scaffolding structure, metaphysical. This is the sort of stuff that Jordan Peterson is alluding to with his discussion of hierarchies. You know, how does a lobster have a hierarchy? 200 million years before man shows up. This is clearly an evolutionary thing that's passed on. Why the fuck we didn't keep the uh, pinchers, or at least like one in our you know back pocket or something, I don't know. But the hierarchies, you know, if you listen to the discussions between Peterson and Jonathan Pajot, who is a well-read and um, earnest Orthodox Christian, they discuss hierarchies, and it's it it's very clear if you kind of know both angles that Jonathan Pajot is sort of going along with, and I think the the right way to look at it is is that he's supportive of Peterson's process towards truth and hell I am too you know I would love to see wake up one day and see Jordan Peterson took his wife's advice and joined the Orthodox Church that'd be a that'd be a pretty pretty solid blow um, a hit back if you know what I mean so, Pajot has more, you know, he's, he's, he and I are more in a line, I think, um, as would regard this notion of uh, scaffolding in the Jungian sense, like, you know, psychological scaffolding, offerings, things that if you, this was a video game, which it is fucking not... Um, you know, you would arrive to levels and you would find new weapons and sort of this sort of stuff. Jung is not to be dismissed. Um, is he to be, you know, eaten in whole? Absolutely not. But these are my opinions and my reads on these things. So, with respect to the warrior's way, the point being that this it once you know one of the tells here that it's um, an inbuilt structure, not man-made, but available to man and evidently discovered by man. As with all these things, we discover them. We do not invent these things. We believe we do, and our pride over you know timelines. Um, repeats the story ad nauseum till, you know, frankly, we wind up, this goes a long way to uh, explaining why we live. It takes a little bit more, but pride and the circle jerking of each other, stroking egos and these sorts of things, entirely manipulative. It's uh, a lot of the, the grease that turns the wheels of this uh, nearly robotic world. So,
we deal on this podcast and I deal in my other work and I am interested in, and it, you know, this is the, 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 if I have a passion, you know, or, um, this what this is what consumes me and it will consume my life is this the existence of these if you will psychic or metaphysical you know it seems to me maybe well let me step back my worldview is is that there is no ultimate divide between life and death there is no ultimate divide between the dream and quote reality and I'll try and come back to this but this is a good place to make clear you know what we're sort of dealing with in terms of cognitive warfare in terms of long term laid out plans that these people circle back to as that chick says revive, reanimate through some some media juice and some, you know, some sexy ads or what have you. It takes very little evidently. I mean, witches, right? We're not it's this it's a similar silly sort of thing, don't get me wrong, um on this level. But, you know, it appears that witchcraft or black magic or satanism uh, you know, has never it was never snuffed out in any way. Um, powers and principalities have evidently shifted over time, and this stuff has remained in our you know in our level of this multi-dimensional, multi-level experience, whatever it is in its totality. We're seeing now um, some of these some of these longer term plans regarding psychedelics. Uh, I mean Castaneda. So you're seeing some of these things come into fruition. I do not know yet. I'm not going to declare even that you know, this is evil or this is not evil or this is part of the plan, I would have to take it on an absolute case-by-case, name-by-name basis. Because I think that one of the features of this stage, this 21 stage, is that everybody has skin in the game and everybody is moving. All parties, whether they're even, you know, the sleeping, the dreamers, those that are asleep in the dream, forget about wakeful dreaming or lucid dreaming you know even they are are in play and uh, as mentioned before I do not I neither advocate for nor against the use of psychedelics with Castaneda I I cleanly cut ties at some point with him and what very well might be some true shit that he got from a Mexican shaman. I don't know if, um, you know, lucid dreaming is exactly as it sounds or what exactly it is. Astral projection in some weird form 
Well, in my worldview, if the dream and the quote, you know, the push-pull world, as I've heard it's called, or what we all agree is reality, I suppose, and even that is up for debate, right? the true nature of these things would need to be somewhat known in order to make accurate descriptions and labels and and on things like lucid dreaming, astral projection, what have you. Um, We, in, in orthodoxy, as mentioned, this stuff is, you are prescribed to keep your distance in no uncertain terms. And in large part, you know, I I have just by luck. I mean, at another time, had I had, it seems to demand, oh, certain flexibilities of mind and perhaps body in order to pull off what these people refer to as lucid dreaming. I think that it's, I just don't believe that it really exists. I think something else is happening. Not that they don't have these experiences and that's how it's perceived, Something else is happening. And I, the funny part about all this is that while I'm, I'm doing, you know, cognitive warfare uh, at this level right now, and I'm owning certain, certain ground right now, I'm walking my perimeter right now. And in this way, you can see how the warrior's way as uh, a model or whatever we've I I really am not sure. I call it a rubric. Um, It would be easier to just call it the logoi, but this this structure, let's say, you know, like a, a crystalline structure, it was not invented by man. This is some sort of structure, some sort of psychic structure, toolbox, toolkit, weaponry, what have you. available to all and as also said in this video this is an immersive sort of thing this is why I say in reference to BAP's notion of owned spaces this is the last unowned space and they know that so do you want to go to war for it are you going to piss you going to dance around about it are you going to wait? Are you going to adhere to, you know, new agey sort of religions and hope that that, you know, they don't crush you in the end, even though all of those strains are very tightly intermingled with much of the cultural zeitgeist, you know, that has rolled this this thing forward rather quickly. I mean, 20 years is, is not that quick, but you see... You see a quickening now. And um, it was my determination to go into this one because I personally think it's valuable, incredibly valuable. It's the sort of thing that if... let Let me paint a picture for you. Most of us have had the experience of laying on the bathroom floor, feeling the cold or 
cool tiles against our face as we gasp for air and wipe slobber and snot from our faces and our bodies prepare for yet another tour emptying our guts into the toilet you know another wave is coming you know you have to get up and do it you're not even in charge and you know that it's the best thing that you can do is get it all out of you in the way that this moment is a very acute visceral like the definition of visceral experience of you and the totality of yourself fighting for life. You could overlay the warrior's way onto this moment, the war, the spirit of, you know, the warrior spirit, if you will. And if one were so inclined could whip up a series of very strong metaphors and insights sparing listeners that tonight as I'm so enraptured with this full moon and wondering what beaver has to do with it suffice to say that the warrior's way is to your psyche as that process of, you know, purging yourself of whatever toxins needed to be purged and bringing you this moment of kind of unparalleled peace. You know, when you chunder and you know there's more and you get that Oh, you know, a couple minutes of just relief. It's as if all the other energy that was going into whatever, holding on to this muscle or holding on to that or the thoughts that were racing, the anxiety that was... All of that shit is erased. And in a similar way, in a similar sense, the warrior's way as this again, sort of psychic crystalline structure that is, while it's a structure, it's also infinitely flexible. Its utility is near infinite. By walking by adhering, by taking from and, you know, pursuing this as a sort of adjunct to your other hierophanies, your relationship with God, your relationships with your children, other loved ones. This is on that level and it's for you. And part of my whole kind of distaste with where Castaneda went was he brought it back into this sort of feminine and social uh, milieu it it very much seemed like 
a canard. Nonetheless, it brings us to this other point that we might as well try and jam into this episode as well. Because it, it's, it's, you know, it's got some... It's one of these 90-10, 90% truth, and then that 10% is absolutely crucial, right? Your entire vehicle can be brand new, perfectly maintained, but if there's a single hole in one of your tires, it's all for naught. The narratives that the media spins are virtually every in every instance operate on this model. You know, okay, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yep. All right. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. I'll have to, you know, a spoonful of medicine, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So, the warrior's way, suffice it to say, for this um, this area of the verbal melee, the audio melee that, that we find ourselves in, with the oppressive lunar light in my face, hmm... The warrior's way, as I am describing it in the manner in which I adhere to it personally, does not contradict orthodoxy uh, nor Buddhism. And those are the only two religions that I feel, you know, fairly qualified. And I'm sure that there's someone can drag someone out from somewhere to disagree and I don't give a shit. So, Warrior's Way, not owned by Mexican shamans, not owned by uh, neo-pagan reinterpretation of, you know, runic suggestions on rocks, not owned by Egyptians, Sumerians, uh, readers of many ancient languages, Definitely not owned by the tactical world or the modern military in any possible sense. If you wanted to find the opposite of the warrior's way, you could very easily um, accomplish that in a cursory examination of, of you know, either the military or the police. If you do not understand that this distinction is 100% necessary... And not only necessary, but, you know, in the not-too-distant future, uh, it will just be extant. It will reveal itself. Enough said on that particular angle. So, avail yourselves of any and all versions you wish adapt, improvise, overcome, you know, that's not of our modern military, that was some good shit there. Um, It's not a, as I said, it's not a checklist sort of thing. It's a thing that you only, only starts, starts to really seem like 
not only entirely obvious, but again, crucial, uh, kind of fundamental to our experience once you've lived it a little bit. And maybe this is, you know, in itself a feature which is worth examining. Um, you have sometimes in the struggles in the ivory tower, you'll hear occasionally, you know, logic is old white man European stuff. It's not, it's not applicable, nor is physics or math or any of these things. And this, you know, very interestingly, jives perfectly with a very common psychological notion. Um, you know, you and you'll hear this mostly from women. You have your truth, and I have mine. The problem with this formulation is not that, in some sense, that's not a fact. It's in which sense. And if you or the purveyor of these statements do not have any philosophical grounding, you know, you have no idea, you, you're naturally sort of inclined to wonder, well, if I have my emotional feeling truth, then all truth must be this way. I simply make it what, what I want it to be or what I think it is, and that's that. Clearly, obviously, the physical, quote, world, uh, God has constructed it in such a way that you can only go this so far. In a feminized world, of course, where, you know, for a very long time, it, it seems, uh, more doors were open for women than for men. Young boys have to learn that while those doors are opening over there for those females, they're not going to open for you, and this is okay. And, you know, you figure this out, but how many times is it made explicit to you that the reason why those doors are open is because they're being opened by men who want ass, you know, to be crude about it. They now or in the future chivalry uh, you know at some point we don't need to get into it you can read in there played a role of course but we're talking about a literal door opening there and now we're talking about something entirely different which has taken on a life of its own and so in the experience of as several generations at least of women the material physical world has sort of in a way uh, presented itself in this in this way where oh well I make my own truth and you know this fizzles out um, for most women well before 35 but women who take good care of themselves can extend this illusion and then they reach a sort of um, seniority position and then it's allowed, you know, for them to sort of swing back and date younger men with their social power. 
Um, and sure, you know, older women can be attractive, but the inherent value of their fertility has been either erased or undermined. Listeners of the Warhorse podcast, no doubt, have followed most of these lines through and understand that the loans, many of these open doors, many of the programs, and much of the psychological manipulation that occurs on social media, at colleges, um, in the service industry, you know, in all sorts of ways, has picked up these threads of feminism, dragged them forward, and has, well, it's ruined, I mean, tens of millions of female lives. Not, and to say nothing of, you know, what it's done to, to the males who have been deprived of anything resembling like a natural sexual, sexual selection environment. Um, we're, we're at a point in my estimation where much of this needs to be accepted as a loss. We have to cut the losses and focus. I have to focus my attentions on my attention, my attentions. I guess I have multiple attentions due to my multiplicities. You do too. These need to be directed, um, you know, in fruitful areas. And that's not to say that I don't empathize or that I didn't uh, go through some of that myself. It's to say that the battle space, as the, quote, war planners say, is evolving rapidly. And uh, with regard to Castaneda, again, you know, I happened upon... um, a number of things today in in a seemingly random maybe the algorithm has finally caught up with me and so it's showing me what I want but you know real quick perusal of social media today uh, the coven stuff the lunar worship stuff Castanadian stuff but not the warrior's way not the relationship with the father figure not the like not the building batman fucking version that's the best part of nine books that's the really the the stuff that you can actually do something with later as i mentioned with this sort of prescriptive um dogmatic uh, highly specialized even for something like astral projection or um, alternative lifestyles or what have you, you know, it enters into this sort of polyamorous lucid dreaming fugue state for like four books and um, none of which is, is substantiated with any evidence other than anecdotal, okay so as far as like what's possible I checked out, as I said, long before this I read the books, sort of you know, hoping um, that I'm going to come across some nutritious stuff here. And maybe there was a bit here and there. As well in social media, and I've toyed around with this a bit myself in terms of exploring how far it goes. I've followed Dobbs and Maps and these guys who have pushed for psychedelic 
legal reform for, I don't know, 15 or so years. Not that I followed them very closely, but I just, you know, I notice it. And as we've stated before, you know, you can, my understanding is, you know, telemedicine, uh, we haven't even recognized like the shifts that have occurred over the past two years and what, what we're headed towards in this regard, which is fine. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. During this time, you know, uh, ketamine, I'm not sure about MDMA yet. Um, mushrooms, I believe are in this list of a couple of, you know, for a long time, these were Schedule One, super dangerous substances. They've become available as tools for psychiatric professionals, which is, again, fine. You know, you, you take responsibility. You suffer the consequences. We don't live in this world. We live in a world of streams, of currencies, you know, current, these bottom currents and top currents and totally controlled currents. Walk through, you know, a parking lot where people are playing music. Every beat is the same in every car. It's not the same song, evidently, not even the same album or artist, but every fucking thing is the same. I don't know, like I said, I'm not going to take a firm stand. I mean, with regard to psychedelics, but I am, you know, I'm cautious on the whole notion of uh, turning this stuff over to people whose um, legitimacy is ultimately controlled by the same people who uh, handled whatever, the Epstein case, the Rittenauer case. You just go down the list. It's the same shit. So when something is pushed, you know, it isn't, it isn't, this goes back to why I tend to ignore a lot of shit is because when I decide to engage it or when it engages me or otherwise it becomes clear that, you know, it may just be a fascination or something, but it's going to, I will become engaged with it. And this requires what we spent the second hour of episode nine discussing. This sort of war needs to take place internally. You know, for oftentimes it's in dialogue with yourself. Um, it's one part of you arguing against another part of you in order to understand this more to pull apart the contradictions, to get past what very well could be due to the reality of pride, due to the reality of psychological operations, an illusion on your part, a misread, a fucking error. And obviously we cannot live our lives in a constant state of uncertainty, which is why I have tried to disembowel that thing by labeling it uncertaintism. If I know what it is, I begin to take control of it. This is not, you know, 
you can, it's a war, okay? So, how does this relate to our topic here that will be uh, fleshed out in detail in hour two? The master. Well, the master, having hunted, having waged war, having seen through illusion, is storing personal power in order to face and prepare for the, the facing of his final, as Castaneda says, obstacle. Taking on the final mission is more like how I, how I would characterize it. And that is this confrontation with personal death. But the master has a way of being a way of interacting, a way of perceiving. And referring again to the trivium, this is the rhetoric. This is the, we've processed an input and now we're outputting. The master, think of every guru, think of every cult leader, think of uh, many, many wayward corrupt religious leaders. Think of virtually every single politician in America. BG Masters, not yet elected, but appears to me to be an exception. Ron Paul, in my estimation, was always an exception. I know you deep fringe conspiracy nuts are telling me he's a fucking Mason or whatever. I don't bullshit. Where we're going here is to say that I, we can just continue to go. You know, uh, singers, actors, when they get up on their silly pulpits, etc. The rhetoric stage is is a, is a ripe ground for charlatans and being misled, misleading. This is, this is an area where the dream and reality are this, the distinction between them is rapidly dissipating for, is it amoral? Um, the light, you know, life is not amoral. So no, does the master having in a long-term sense, right, outside of the circuit, a living master, has he input and processed much such that his familiarity, even dexterity with the gray area is enhanced and, you know, yes, of course. And can he choose to deploy this for evil and good? Yes, of course. But this doesn't mean that 
the construct itself is amoral. No more so than the construct of being a father or a mother would be amoral because some people are shitty mothers and some people are shitty fathers. One, this may help, it may not. For me, it helps. But if you scour your memory, your experiences, maybe even your own family, and you look at a father who has it largely under control, his money is under control, his marriage is under control, his health is under control. This is, this is very helpful, so I hope that it helps you guys because this goes to the very nature of what this master is uh, in my reading. If you were to take this imperfect character and to perfect him from your point of view, maybe you would de-boomerize him, maybe you would make him more familiar with um, more uncomfortable histories, Maybe you would weaponize him and make him more capable of violence. Maybe you would make him um, more attuned to the passing of his days. Whatever it would be, you are now envisioning a version of the master who is going to have, you are going to have some affinity for. Not there is, again, this is not a checklist. This is, this is almost not even a way of being. It's an experiential reality that you either become conscious of and take, again, responsibility, total responsibility, right? The author of that shit missed this one, didn't he? So you and your vision and your understanding and this is going to be a brief experience that's the nature of that circuit you hunt it you gather it you fight it you have a flickering moment of comprehension and it slips and you're right back at the start you know the beginner's mind never there's a truism to take all of us uh, to the grave, the beginner's mind. I think the man who makes it far down this road either has this natural proclivity towards the beginner's mind or develops something akin to a natural proclivity proclivity and acceptance of the fact that much of life and as I've said maybe the prime survival skill is actually just getting back up from being knocked down and not staying down and taking stock of where you have returned to once again level one and there you know this is not a black pill in any sense. You're back at level one and you've been here 10,000 times. You're pretty fucking good at it. Another way 
to consider this state of being the master. Again, in my opinion, the master has gone so many miles towards healing the trauma, towards pulling apart contradictions to see the truth and accept the painful, very painful aspects of life and embrace and augment the the beautiful the fleeting the humorous the good right the good he's found ways to augment these he has not found a way to build up a wall of illusions that everything will be fine when it's a robotic metaverse and my grandchild lives in the fucking pod and you know is a tranny and uh, has no idea doesn't even care what where he's from who he is etc that's you see so I always find and I hope you do too this apophatic the use of the negative to reveal especially something as esoteric or occulted or just non-material as a you know the warrior's way so if we consider an artist um you know now there's probably more artists quote artists now than ever in human history it was not always a thing that everybody could try their hand at But there are hallmarks that even, in many ways, the hallmarks of true artistic mastery are beyond the grasp of the critic. And so the unschooled, the laity, the profane will, in fact, have a kind of direct access, you know, an, an observation. Maybe it's because they're not subject to the illusion of having no betters as royalty, you know, and um, certain other high caste types. They have a big blind spot. And it's, it's encultured and reinforced and then they have to, whatever, their livelihood and their, their social positioning depends on them continuing to have this veil, this filtered like relationship. But in studying master works of art, there are insights to have on and artists, let's say, right? Because you can you can be um, the teacher at the local high school, teaches art is is an artist. You can be a giant, uh, you know, rock star and call yourself an artist. And maybe that community school professor would just flush you in reality. Again, the work of the warrior is big, 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 big. Occasionally, 
you do have, I mean, and pretty fucking occasionally, you have masterworks. Not even works of genius or great works. Those are more common. But you have masterworks. And in masterworks, and then studying the artist that, let's say, the state of the artist at the time of creation, yet again, you can have more insights into this fleeting condition of mastery. And it's worth noting that Castaneda actually, in his formulation, he has it as the man of knowledge. I think he probably just made this up to replace the word master. Man of knowledge is good, you know. You can use both. That's what I do. I don't I don't have this and so, you know, much of what's coming to you in your ear holes right now and in every of these podcasts is it's coming from somebody who I have, uh, in large part anyway, done away with my any illusions of necessity with regard to um, this this need to have like I mean I don't I hesitate to say a perfect definition. No, in terms of debate or define, we need perfect as perfect as we can definitions certainly for grammar. It's almost in the nature of the thing here, if we understand the two triune structures, that once we start to push out right into the edges of Heidegger's clearing, the edges of darkness, the edges of what is known and acceptable, the edges of what has been called madness, the edges of what has been called genius, we'll hit it once again. Because repetition is grand. Genius appears to be a type of this fire electricity, this etheric fire, chi, if you will. And like with any circuit, you know, electricity does not constantly run through every single circuit, and so you, circuits can be modified. Not all circuits can be modified, but some can. Some can be temporarily modified. Some circuits are just so fucking complex that they can do this, that, another thing, and 12 other functions and repair themselves. Maybe that's what you want to be. But genius, as said does not appear to be available to every single human being. Certainly, human beings seem to be encouraged through the education system, through the work of the demons, through many, many ways. Again, there seem to be almost like negative logoi, you know, logi as well, negative psychic structures, a spiritual battlefield. And... The mold, of course, has, you know, been my way to quickly encapsulate much of that. Well, the mold and this aether fire, you know, they don't, they don't jive. And 
it's not my contention at all that every single person, even at birth maybe, I do not know. But I, I think I have cause, and you would understand why, to question, you know, narratives of total birth equality. Are they all loved by God? Yeah. That doesn't make them equal. That doesn't, that's not how it seems to work. So this is why I hesitate to say everybody has access to this genius aether fire in, uh, as described. However, probably everybody listening to this podcast does. So, in hour two, we will, we will seek as is possible because it takes some doing. But we will seek to, through both apophatic and affirmative terms, more fully approach and describe the area around this thing called the master. This piece of a circuit, which ultimately is called the warrior's way, not the master's way. And there's some nuances here related specifically to fatherhood and specifically back to the warrior aspect of the circuit that I believe deserve... um, a deeper, more granular level of analysis, description, commentary, and and focus. So, for subscribers, that is in your near, very near future, should you choose to entertain it. For those folks who have not yet subscribed, I encourage you to subscribe. It helps me It helps me to believe that this and justify the time spent doing this. And, um, you know, it's a form of proof, if you will, that this project may in fact uh, be sustainable. So if if you are getting value, I encourage you. And if you can't subscribe, you know, I believe there's... um, there's some type of donate button through my website. And yes, I would take crypto. I love crypto. I love cash, whatever. Um, so that's the pitch, you know, at the end of the last hour. Please uh, feel free to check the website. You can get information about King of Dogs, which is my novel. Um, and in the devil doggery fashion of that's that's new to me I will tell you that it's the best novel of the past 10 years there may be a typo or two in there um but I I would challenge you to find a better book a better novel I'm gonna have to work on the power of my devil dog um presentation but it's a great fucking book so if you haven't read it you can get it on the website and um, there's t-shirts, uh, etc. You can find my email there if you want to contact me. Most of the stuff goes down on Instagram. I tend to, at least of late, uh, post related materials in the story. And um, it works pretty well. 
I hope I hope that subscribers are liking it. But you can find uh, more stuff there to check out. That is also Golden Goat Guild. So thank you for listening to this first hour of the War Horse Podcast. Episode 10 came to you on this full Beaver Moon Eve. Subscribers, hold on. I'll be right back.